Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. We're going to do something a little bit different this time. Normally we talk about comic books and we discovered that Paul Wayne and myself really dig the new Caprica television show. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about that today. Wait, what the hell? I thought we were talking about <laughs> sex today. There's plenty of sex in Caprica, Paul. <laughs> I think Caprica is the one show on cable that does not have sex, actually. <laughs> well, you see, you have to buy the DVD version, and there's plenty of nudity in it. That's a good point. The pilot definitely had plenty. Yeah. yeah. So before we, we venture too far afield, um, I think that it is important to address, kind of, you know, as a watermark, where we are on Battlestar Galactica, you know, Battle Caprica is the the spinoff series from Battlestar Galactica. So I, I think it's important that we all talk about it. Paul, you a fan of Battlestar? I love Battlestar Galactica. Um, I actually even like the original. I know we're talking about the, the new series. Um, I loved the new series. My favorite show on television, literally, not even the finale, just the last hour of the finale. Put me in such a bad place with the show mm-hmm. that I don't even know if I would want to go back and rewatch again, what I considered my favorite show on TV for almost five years running. I'm pretty close to Paul. I thought the last season did start to go downhill about midway through. Um, the last episode, though, the first half of the last episode actually got me excited. It was all high energy, and there's a lot going on, and, you know, I had the hope that they were actually going to tie it all up in a good manner, but the last half of that last episode just really threw it for me. I mean, particularly Starbuck falling through a hole in the plot, which is, what all my friends, I all refer to what happened with her. It's just they built this up so big that they couldn't come up with a good way to end it, so they went left field. I really enjoy Battlestar Galactica. I understood and understand what uh, some of my friends said that you know that, that didn't care for it, which is it was hard to find anybody to root for. You know that all of the characters were so flawed and had such incredibly such incredible darkness inside them that you know it was hard to cheer them on. You know there wasn't a hero in the group. Even Adama, you know, showed the the chinks in his armor uh, as the show went on. Hey, me too. There were more real characters. And you know, and I understand that some people just shows like Star Trek. You know, that is the extent of their science fiction. They need a very cut and dry good versus bad. Whereas, you know, a lot of time in Battlestar Galactica, you spent your time asking, who should I be rooting for? You know, is it the, is it the humans after all, or is it the Cylons? I have to say that first episode after the pilot, the, I think it was 22, 23, that is the best hour of television I have ever seen. To this day, I would... I still will go back and at least watch that one episode over and over again because by far that's the best hour of TV I'd, you know, I'd see it to that point at least definitely. Well, you know, the, the, there is so much good about Battlestar Galactica. I mean, I remember watching the you know, miniseries pilot and thinking, you know, this was awesome. But kind of just like it's easy to do a, a, a first issue in a comic book like we've talked about before, you know, it's easy to kind of cue things up and ask a bunch of questions and, and set up a scenario. But it's how you resolve it that and how you carry it out, you know, season after season that, you know, really is the, the, the mark of a, of a fine program. And I, I loved Battlestar Galactica uh, every season. And the, one of the things that I love so much about it is it never went the direction I thought it was going. Every time I thought, okay, well, this is what they're going to do, bam, 
something completely different, something so far out of of what I thought they were going to do. And you see, that was my big surprise was that it they actually had the kind of ending I thought they'd have. I knew it was going to be biblical. I, you know, I, I really felt strongly that these were the things that were going to happen, and pretty much I was kind of spot on 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 the resolution. And that's what surprised me is that I just thought everything everything else that they had done on that show had surprised. So have either of you watched Battlestar Galactica: The Plan? Yes, I have not actually. Which is, I it has been sitting on my DVR. Since it aired, uh, what was it? Uh, October, November. Mm-hmm. It, it's been sitting. On my, I just, I, I don't know. I. It, it's kind of like when the, the Babylon Five movie came out on DVD. Yeah. I never saw it because I just I could not get myself back into that mindset of that universe again. Yeah. It was actually the plan that got me back into wanting to watch Caprica because basically I had written it. I had written off the Battlestar Galactica universe. And then I went back and I watched this, and the plan was so good because it only covers the first three seasons or so before anything started going downhill. It fits seamlessly into what you saw there, which was a strong sci-fi show with yeah, it had the themes going of metaphysical, you know, themes, but it didn't didn't go that far into the deep end. And this fit nicely into that. It explained a lot of the questions you had as you walked through the show. And it gave you the perspective of all the Cylons that were in the fleet. So you see the other side of the story. And it just it made the whole thing more complete for me. And it got me really psyched up and looking forward to Caprica. See, the first miniseries for the Battlestar for the you know, the, the recent Battlestar Galactica, the I guess it was, you know, uh, two two hour episodes or whatever. That is such amazing television. I didn't start watching Battlestar Galactica until the end of season three. And what I did is I bought season one on DVD and bought season two on DVD, watched them all. And then, you know, season three wasn't out on DVD yet, but they were doing a marathon on the sci-fi channel. I literally took a week off from work because they were showing, I think, six episodes a day or something like that. I took a week off from work so that I could watch the marathon all week. And, uh, you know, I was ready for season four when it started. And, uh, you know... I mean, I, I just, I remember the first miniseries when I was watching it on DVD, you know, and it was just so emotional. I, I, I remember there was the scene where Adama thought that Lee Adama had died, his son, and, you know, they're reunited and there's just like this big hug and, you know, they, they always play that Scottish music for some reason, even though neither one of them is Scottish, um, but I guess that's their theme or whatever. Right. But, you know, it's just such an emotional scene. I'm like, oh, my God, a TV show might actually make me cry. <laughs> it, I, I just I, I, I loved that. I loved that entire miniseries, um, you know, and I, I loved everything I saw. And, yeah, I mean, the show did have many flaws. It did have a, a lot of the stink of we're making it up as we go along. I, I It bugs me when, when, I, when I feel like they're making it up as they go along. Yeah, they seem to throw a lot out there to see what sticks and what people are talking about. That's what they want to become back and answer. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, though, I mean, I did love it for five seasons. In that final episode, I can tell you the exact point at which I tuned out, like mentally and emotionally is when Dean Stockwell's character, whatever, I don't remember his name. Yeah, the preacher. Shoots, yeah, shoots himself, where he just goes, oh, frack it. 
and shoots himself during the final battle. And the interesting thing is, some of the best TV of the entire series was a couple minutes before that. Yeah. The whole scene right before that happens, when he, when uh, Chief Gerald realizes that one of the other final, you know, one of the other Cylons had killed his wife. Oh, yeah. That is a really good scene. You know, because I've been waiting for that scene. I'm like, when the hell is he going to find out? Yeah. And, you know, they they put it at just the perfect moment. And you saw it coming because, you you know, when they, they, you know, they're like, when we do this, we're going to, you know, share everything or whatever. I'm like, this is where it's going to happen. And it was just so perfect the way they did it. And literally two seconds later, Dean Stockwell just shoots himself in the head. I'm like, serious? I mean, come on. They they couldn't think of a better way to wrap up (laughs) the, 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 you know, the the main villain, essentially, of of those last couple of seasons. Once you actually get around to watching the plan, you'll see how much more of a villain he actually was. At the end of Battlestar Galactica, you know, we all knew that Caprica was coming and we knew that it was going to be a prequel. But we also knew that they were going to be making some movies. We knew the plan was coming, etc. I tell you what, the, the, one of the stories that I'm really interested in, and they've talked about doing this, and I really hope they do, is the story of the robot Cylons who went off on their own after uh, dropping off the humans on Earth. I'm really interested in that story. Hmm, that would be interesting. See, in my case, I'm not sure if I am or not. I think I'm interested in prequels. I'm interested more in the universe. But I think I'm done with what I guess would be the present dawn of that universe. You know, everything after the last episode, I, I look back in time, but I just, I'm done with the future of that universe. I mean, all of the main characters had endings, whether they were satisfying or not. My favorite character on the show, and I don't know why, because he was so, he was so, you know, his characterization was fluctuated from season to season was Lee Adama. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if the writers just didn't know what to do with him or if that's just the growth of his character, but sometimes it just kind of went off the rails. And, you know, I told my brother, I'm like, he said, well, who on that show do you like? And I said, well, you know, Lee Adama. And he's like, you mean the guy who hits women? I was like, well, yeah, I guess. You know, I, I completely forgot he did that. <laughs> Wait, do, do you remember when you first saw him in the fat suit? But, yes, you know, the fat suit wasn't so pronounced. You're like, wow, did the actor just let himself go during the break? I mean, yeah, I, there was there was that little bit of time there. You're just like, is he wearing a costume, or or, or did Bubba just really, uh, you know, enjoy a couple of buffets? <laughs> well, and what's funny is like he doesn't. I mean, out of all of them, and I think it's because I like the actor too, because he has a British accent in real life, Australian you know, he, accent, Australian, it? whatever. See, he's not even Scottish. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, but. It, totally not the accent he speaks with on the show. I don't know. I, you know, for a while when I was watching the show, I'm like, you know, he would be a good Captain America. Oh, yeah. Except that he's not American. Right. Well, I have to tell you, the first time I saw him, uh, it was after Battlestar Galactica had concluded. And I forget what show I was watching, but, you know, he was a, a guest actor on it. And he was speaking in, in his, you know, native accent. And I was like, well, this isn't right at all. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I don't care for this. <laughs> it was kind of like um, Alexis Denisoff from uh-huh. uh, Buffy and Angel. Yeah. You know, Wesley Wyndham Price. You know, hearing his accent in real life, or I, I know he's on How I Met Your Mother, and I guess he doesn't speak in his English accent there. That's um, I, it. Just it feels so wrong. Yeah, it does. And that's not, I mean that. And you know, the English accent was the fake one on that. I mean, it's just totally odd. Yeah, there's a whole list of shows like that. One of the big ones for my wife and I was, uh, for Christmas, I got her season one of the Dresden Files. And we watched that, and then we watched the commentary. 
the main star of the Dresden Files as a character Dresden has just a Chicago accent. Right. Yeah. The actor has a strong British accent. Yeah, very strong. On the show, there's a British character who has a strong British accent. And that guy's got a deep southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> so you have those two talking in interviews with the exact opposite accents that they have on the show. Nice. You mean season only of the that, Dresden That's Files? what I was going to say. I was, it was yeah. just one season, right? Yeah, okay, kind of like Moonlight, that TV show Moonlight. They released it at season one on DVD. I yeah. mean, you mean the season complete only. series? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we seem to be enjoying ourselves talking about Battlestar Galactica, but we are going to have to transition <laughs> over to Caprica. So you know, Battlestar Galactica ends, and you know, uh, two out of the three of us on the, on this uh, on this podcast really disliked the ending. Um, in fact, uh, Wayne, am I correctly summarizing that until the plan came out, you were done with Battlestar Galactica? Yep, that's a good way to put it. So Caprica comes out, and of course, uh, Sci-Fi emulated the uh, uh, strategy that they used with Battlestar Galactica. They they released a a pilot first, released it actually this time they released it to DVD first before they aired it. Isn't that yeah, right? And quite a bit to DVD before yeah. they aired it. And yeah, yeah, that was good stuff. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I saw it on DVD. I remember when I watched it, you know, I was thinking, you know, that was good. It was well produced. It was well acted. What a great big downer. You know, I mean, I, I it was a little depressed at the end of it. So I watched it with uh, Jen and rented it. We sat down and we watched it. And we're watching through it and we're like, okay, this is... This is okay. This is pretty good. And we reach one point in this movie. I'm like, okay, pause it, pause it. And he pauses. I'm like, okay, they're either going to go down one of two paths here. They're going to go down path A, and this is going to be really cool and it's going to be incredible. Or they're going to go down path B, and this is going to be really lame and this is going to be a stupid pilot. <laughs> and when you know it, they took a sharp turn right down path B. Exactly what I predicted. And you know, I, as much as I like Caprica now, I didn't like the pilot. I really hated some of the concepts they threw out in the mm-hmm. pilot. See, on the the website, on ideologyofmadness.com, I posted a, a DVD review of Caprica the, when it came out. Because I was, I don't know why, considering I was unhappy with Battlestar Galactica, um, but I was actually really excited about Caprica. And I'm like, you know, it's something different. It has, you know, it, 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 it's... It's the same universe, but you know it's the prequel. I, I was I was interested in it. So when the DVD came out, I bought the freaking DVD for twenty freaking dollars, even though it's the same shit you see on TV plus nudity. But I, I bought it, and uh, you know I I enjoyed the hell out of it. I really really dug it um, more so than I than I even expected. And it's something it's a, it's kind of a theme you'll see from me um, throughout the this episode is that I loved it despite the fact that not terribly much happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Caprica, it, you know, it, it is the one show every, you know, that it's, you know, people are like, well, what happens? Well, nothing really, except a lot in, of drama. And they're like, but it's a sci-fi, a science fiction show, right? And I'm like, yeah, but there's no action or, yeah. you know, anything like that. Yeah, it well, is yeah. entirely a, a drama in space. Well, you know, my wife was not interested at all in Battlestar Galactica. She's not. She's not into the spaceships and all that kind of fun stuff. 
Um, uh, Caprica, I actually think is something that she, she'd actually enjoy watching because it is much more a character driven drama as opposed to action a week drama. Now, you know, the, the, the pilot essentially like all pilots will do is set up the action for the ongoing series. And so we, we have several main characters in the story. And the first of which is, uh, Daniel Greystone. Do I have his first name right? Daniel Grayson? Yes. Um, yeah, played by Eric Stoltz. And he is essentially Bill Gates of the uh, Caprica universe. He is uh, the smartest man in the world. He you know, is responsible for all this technology, particularly one piece of technology, which allows you to hollow project yourself into a virtual universe. And so, you know, a little headset gear and you go into this whole virtual world. In fact, uh, it's, it's one of the most popular bits of technology in the world at this time, really dominated apparently by, you know, teenagers. So, you know, you've got Daniel Greystone and his gigantic company. And then you also, you have his wife and you have, his wife is Amanda Greystone and you have his daughter, uh, Zoe Greystone. His daughter is a mm-hmm. teenager. Then on the other side, you've got uh, Joseph Adama, who is the father of, later on down the line, Admiral Adama. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm, um, I'm drawing a blank on their ranks. Uh, Commander Adama originally, and then uh, Admiral Adama, I think, at the end of the show. Yeah, Bill Adama. William yeah. Adama. There you go. Thank you. And also, the sister, Tamara Adama. Um, so you've got and, – and, you know, we re- recall from Battlestar Galactica that Adama's father was a lawyer, and we see him as a lawyer in this show. Now, I kind of – I don't know about you guys, but I kind of have some hard time reconciling the character that Grandpa was portrayed as in Battlestar Galactica against Joe Adama that we're seeing here. Yeah, I think there's a reason for Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think I think that there's certainly a story arc. Now, but before we go too far afield, um, I do want to you know mention that you know Caprica occurs what 50 years before the events in Battlestar Galactica. Correct. Is that right? Does it seem like that's not enough time? It does. It's hard for me to reconcile that whole Earth bit with the Cylons on Earth that come back, and you know how they can make human Cylons and. It it doesn't seem like all that is enough time to happen. You know, all all that is too much to happen in the fifty years. Well, and you know, when I, I remember seeing Battlestar Galactica Razor at the movie theater, and you know, that's got all the scenes with a a Viper flying uh, Adama, uh, Bill Adama, you know, coming across some of the early experiments that the Cylons were doing, and it just it doesn't seem like there's enough time to have had all of these giant wars with the Cylons. Have, have had the peace treaty and invent, you know, human appearing Cylons. And I know that's just my brain trying to apply some reason to something that's science fiction, but it just doesn't seem like there is enough gap. And it seems, it seems a little forced that the Adamas are involved from A to B, you know? Just, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's my only real complaint about Caprica at this point is that the, the history seems a little too compact. Well, and you know, one thing I was, um, one thing that was set up in the first episode, I was like, okay, so it's really going to be about the interaction between the Greystones and the Adamas. Right. And other than the pilot and one or two episodes, brief, briefly, do they ever interact? Right. In the series. Yeah, that's one thing. The pilot didn't really set the tone 
for the series whatsoever. I mean, everything you see in the pilot, if you're thinking that's what the series is going to be like, that's not the case. Basically, the whole premise of the series is set up in the last five minutes of the pilot. And none of the, you see very few of the interactions that you end up seeing throughout the show just in that pilot. It was all about two hours to get you to the place where the series can begin. So, uh, Wayne, tell us a little bit about what the pilot was about. Okay, well, I will tell you the, uh, the one moment that I had Chad pause. So, during the course of the pilot, you get Zoe Greystone, which is Daniel's daughter, is a member of a group called the, uh, the Soldiers of the One, mm-hmm. STO. And they're basically a one-god terrorist group. And during the course of the pilot, a bomb goes off that kills everybody on a, or basically on a L train. And Zoe is one of the characters that gets killed. Now, she previously to that had come up with the, a piece of software that goes out and generates a artificial intelligence of a person based on everything that they know about that person. Essentially, in our modern terms, it would it would go to their email, it would go to their Facebook, it would go to their live journal, and track everything there and build a personality profile of this person, essentially creating an artificial intelligence that is them. Now, in the case of the pilot, they tied that together a little bit, too, where when Zoe dies... <gasps> Zoe dies? Of her, this kind of guitar of her knows it just instinctively and she starts bleeding and they have some sort of tie together but at that point still to me it was of the mindset of zoe has somehow taken her own brain waves and copied it over onto this but they reach the point where they're running the software against somebody who has never interacted with the system just to see if they can create an avatar just like this living one just like this living zoe one and in my mind, that was a ridiculous concept that you can recreate a person's personality based on the things that they've left behind on the equivalent of the internet. What I wanted to see was either a personality that was off the you know, off the deep end and nothing like the actual person. The whole thing not work at all because of some because it would only work with the way that Zoe had done it, or something along those lines. And at that point, I told the positive it was, if it goes down track A or this doesn't work because you can't just create a personality off of email and Facebook and phone calls, then I will be happy with this show. <laughs> if it goes down the other path of this software can recreate anybody based on their emails, their phone calls, and you just have them again because everybody leaves this, all of these traces of themselves online. That was the side that I just couldn't buy. And, of course, that's the direction they went. With this software, they could recreate anyone. And that was when the pilot lost me entirely. And, you know, it all led up to basically what the premise they needed for the show was, like I said, in the last five minutes. Emo, you know, emo girl that is the living avatar of the dead girl is in a big killer robot. <laughs> That's really what you need to know to start the show. Yeah. So, so show of hands, um, who hates Zoe? Because, boy, I hate her. I hate her with everything I've got. I do. I do. I absolutely love her. Love the character. Love the actress. But I have a pet peeve. Uh-oh. And they got away from this. The first couple episodes, 
every time they would show the robot or her, they would always show one, then they'd move to the left, and then they'd show the other replacement. Right. And it drove me crazy. It's like they're taking a sledgehammer and trying to bash the idea. Basically, they take a sledgehammer and write it, wrote on the end of it, you know, this robot is Zoe, right. and started bashing you in the head with it. It wasn't artistically done. It wasn't later on, and you know, as the season went on, they really got the hang of it. And they had some cool artistic scenes where they're doing the back and forth, and they have these scenes where it actually drives the emotion out of you. And in the first two or three episodes, it was just, "Hey, there's a robot. Blink. Now there's Zoe." Oh yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, Wayne. They have gotten a lot better at that through through the series. The uh, the transitions has become a lot more artful. You could tell that they were they they learned a lot from the pilot in the first couple of episodes. Yeah. But you know the the uh, the characters in the show are all such a wreck. That's what they do. Yeah, it is. I mean, there isn't anybody. Well, yeah, the the the, the most emotionally healthy character in the entire series is Adama's brother who is, you know, a mobster and a killer. Yeah. You know, and he's the guy who it cracks me up because, you know, he he uh, he he's gay and so it's him and his partner and they've got this very happy home. <laughs> and and you know, you can tell there's a lot of love and affection there and they both seem very comfortable with themselves. And, you know, here he is, this this mobster murderer guy who is very cold-blooded in the work that he does. Uh, but he is the most emotionally healthy character there. Yeah, he's the most practical. And I, I, I was very surprised on the episode where they revealed that his character was gay. Because, you know, it, 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 it's, you know it's not shown... It, it, it's shown in, a, in, a, in an entirely not typical to what you see on TV manner. You know, right. it, it, it's, it is... Without a doubt, the healthiest, happiest relationship on the show. On the show, yeah, you know, yeah, and, and I, together, I, I, and he is. You're, 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 you know, you're watching the show, and you're thinking, mafia hitman, mafia, you know, tough guys. I mean, this is a tough guy. Yeah, you know, kills people for a living, and he's gay. Yeah, and and it, you know, it, it, it I actually thought it was a, a really interesting and well done choice. I'm, I'm actually. I thought Very it was a brilliant that. move. I did. Mm-hmm. I, I I sat there and went, you know, that's how you do that. You know, mm-hmm. that is that is that is exactly how you do it. You tell you tell those kinds of things in quiet moments, and 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 you sh- and and people sit there and go, huh? I never thought about that. You know? Yeah, it's like I was complaining about before. It was like they were hitting you with yeah. a sledgehammer with one point. This is the opposite. Yeah. It's like they took a finely tuned scalpel and they're just giving you this. You know this piece of story, yeah. but it's yeah. it wasn't heavy handed at all. It it's was not. Something yeah, it was very and, subtle. You know, and you no know, big deal doesn't matter. Here it is. Keep yeah, moving. yeah. Because no one, no one has a problem with it. Every, you know, everyone is entirely comfortable with with this aspect of his life. Yeah. You know, and again, you know, that that's uh, what I appreciate about that is that you don't see that. No. If a gay character's in a show, someone has a problem with it. Yeah, you've got to you got to put a spotlight on him. Gay man, gay man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I thought that was artfully done. And you know, I, I we haven't said it yet, but you know, Ron Moore is the uh, the the pilot of of both Caprica and Battlestar Galactica, and I have been you know drinking at his water fountain 
for years because you know he was responsible for some of the best Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, responsible mm-hmm. for everything that I love and adore about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And you know, he went over to do his own thing with Battlestar Galactica and and you know, love it or hate it, you know, some of the choices that he's made, he has been responsible for some of the most original, unique, creative uh, science fiction that we've seen since, you know, Star Wars. You know, and he always does that blend of the mystical with the science yeah. fiction. There's always the, uh, you know, basically here is something, he likes to build the religion in with it as yeah. well. But he usually explains it pretty well at some point. It's like, yeah, here's what everyone's seeing, here's how this was created. But there's more to the universe than your science is explained. Right. Which, you know, is one thing that um, is weird to me is that this show, and maybe it's because this show did it from the very beginning, it introduced these metaphysical elements um, that can't be explained away with science. You know, it, it introduced the whole religion aspect of the show from the very beginning. So you, so that's a piece of the show. It, it's a big piece of the show. It's The spirituality is such a huge part of the show where it's, you know, it wasn't at the beginning of Battlestar Galactica. I mean, at the beginning, everything could have been explained away with science. What I'm seeing here, Paul, is actually... The opposite trend of what happened with Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica started out in very heavy sci-fi, and it moved into the metaphysical. Well, what I'm noticing in Caprica is the opposite. It started very heavy metaphysical, very heavy, and then it's gone more the sci-fi route. Everything since then has become more and more explainable, and they're explaining everything at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like they're taking the opposite route. Well, and something else that they that they introduced in the pilot and is certainly a strong factor in the ongoing series is terrorism Um, and and told very effectively. I think the the explosion in the pilot, you know, where Zoe dies on the train, you know, she has no idea that that's going to happen, even though it's her friend who is carrying the device and he's a member of the same religious order that she is. Cause you know, monotheism is, is the thing that's, you know, out there and alien uh, and unaccepted by the Capricorn society. You know, she thinks they're going off world to join some kind of commune. She doesn't realize that, you know, he's about to make an example of everybody and, you know, blow up the train. And that's, you know, kind of kicks off into uh, the regular series. And we find out that this terrorist cell that he belonged to is actually rather large and influential. And we get to see, you know, actors like, uh, uh, James Marsters playing members of those cells th- throughout the regular series. And, and I've been a big fan of him ever since Buffy of Vampire. Oh, yeah. And he's been on so many things that sci fi wise, it just keeps going. Buffy, Smallville, uh, Caprica, Torchwood. I don't know if anyone yeah. watches Torchwood. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. I love his character and, and, on Torchwood. He's hysterical uh, on Torchwood. Yeah. I, I have loved... I mean, you know, he, he's so much better when he's not Spike. And he's great as Spike. But, you know, I, I like seeing him play characters that are not like Spike. Yeah. You know, but that's the great thing is every character he does, a lot of people get stuck in this typecasting thing. Every character he's done has been completely different. Yeah. I don't see Spike in anything else he's done. And even this new character he is here now in Caprica is like nothing I've ever seen him do before. Well, and you mentioned Dresden before. He does the uh, audio novels for the Dresden series. 
Oh, really? Oh, God, and they're fantastic. They are fantastic. I, I, I mean, reading the books is, is an event unto itself, and then listening to the books read by James Marsters is, is just outstanding. Highly recommended big thumbs up. You know, it, it, the, the only bad thing about it, you know, is and, – and I – and maybe, you know, I, I got over it pretty quickly. Is that when he first popped up, I'm like, oh, it's Spike. You know, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't, I forgot Spike was going to be in this show. Yeah. You know, because the only other actor, I mean, there's two other actors that are really kind of recognizable, and that's Isai Morales, yeah. you know, Joe Adama, and Eric Stoltz is Daniel Greystone. You know, but the, I mean, those guys are pretty spectacular actors, I think. I mean, at least they have been on this show. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess I, you know, I was able to kind of fade into the characters, but I just, I associate Marsters, Marsters, you know, with some of his other characters so much. It was like, oh, I, it's James Marsters. Oh, yeah. Instead of thinking of his character. Yeah, I didn't have that in this show, but I did in previous shows. First time he showed up with Brainiac on Smallville, it's like, hey, it's Spike. First time he showed up on Torchwood, hey, it's Spike. <laughs> well, I've already gone through that twice, so I'm just going to have these. <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, and I guess since we're on the the topic of the actors, um, I mean, the, I think the acting in this show is uniformly great all around. Oh yeah, totally agree, totally agree. Uh, you know, my only <laughs> my only complaint about the actors, and it's not the actors, it's really the the story, is who would have thought that you know Admiral Adama's father would be such a great big pussy? <laughs> <laughs> you know the. Yeah, I, I th- God, I mean, you know, the scenes where, you know, because he's he's we haven't talked about it yet, but, you know, his daughter dies in the uh, the train explosion, the same one that kills Zoe. And so, you know, and hers is the avatar that's created by Daniel Greystone when he's out there trying to piece together, uh, you know, other avatars. And gosh, we, we haven't talked about any of this. <laughs> we haven't talked about how, uh, you know, Joseph Adama is a Taron and has links to organized crime. His brother is the mobster we were talking about and who then goes and steals the chip that Daniel Greystone needs because Daniel Greystone says, if you can get me this chip, I can create your daughter in the virtual world, you know, and you'll be able to hug and hold your daughter again. And so these things happen because Greystone's preying on Adama's, uh, you know, weakness, you know, gets the chip and, you know, obviously we're able to, to see Zoe and we're even able to see Tamara, uh, Adama's uh, daughter. That would be the right turn. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Adama winds up, you know, into the series, not the pilot, but into the series, winds up spending the entire first half of uh, the season after he finds out that Tamara is actually still out there being addicted to this virtual world. And so we keep seeing scenes where, you know, he's just laying in his bathrobe on the couch, hooked up to the, to the VR world. And, you know, I just go, God, I just, how does Bill Adama come from this? <laughs> Cause you know, Bill Adama is one of the biggest badasses in science fiction. And, you know, I, that was the thing about watching Battlestar Galactica is that I always enjoyed the episodes where Adama was a badass. You know, those were my favorite episodes. I loved those episodes. You know, and the only character I don't like on Capricorn is Bill Adama. Yeah. Is the little kid, little Willie, right? Really dislike. Yeah, the impertinent little kid. Yeah, he is annoying. 
is annoying. You kind of have this sense that he's going to learn a lot of his badassery from his uh, mobster uncle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe, and you know, maybe this is something they're building up to. Maybe Joe Adama doesn't make it. Maybe you know, maybe Sam Adama takes him under his wing as his son. Yep. You know, they've kind of hinted at some of those things already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that he sees Sam Adama more as his father than he sees Joe Adama. Um, you know, until the, the you know un- until the, the ceremony where they they came to accept the the death of their you know um, the the mother and sister. Yeah. You know, but he he was hanging out with Sam Adama. So maybe when he speaks of his father in the show, you know, you they may be building up to that he's actually talking about yeah. Sam, not Joe. One of the actors that's in the show that I thought was a initially thought, ooh, that's an awkward choice, and then it worked out really well was Patton Oswalt as the uh, late night television host. Yeah, you know, and I didn't think that was going to work. You know, I was like, ah, uh, you know, I like Patton Oswalt, but he's not going to fit into this. And it, he really does fit in. In fact, uh, I think that was one of the strongest episodes where Greystone goes on that talk show, and you know he and his wife, you know, come to the solution while they're on the air. And I, I really thought that was brilliant writing because I wasn't predicting that; I was figuring it out along with them. You know, and I, I thought that was just outstanding writing. You, you guys apparently did not. <laughs> yeah, I thought it sucked. <laughs> yeah. No. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> the Patton Oswalt, you know, and it's again. I, I had a bit of a spike moment with him. It's like, oh, it's Ratatouille, or whatever the hell he is, you know. And See, I was um, thinking Spence from King of Queens. You know, he was there for a couple of episodes, and even though he he was still always Patton Oswalt, and that's why you hire Patton Oswalt because you want Patton Oswalt, right? You know, he, he's not like a great actor. He's Patton Oswalt, you know. But that you're right that that scene in which he confronted the characters, and you know that's I mean there are so many scenes like that in the show, and I think that's why we're talking about this show because it, it you know it, it has such great dramatic moments, including scenes like that where you know it, it, it's this big emotional thing, and it's pulled off so well by the actors in the scene, you know that. Yeah. And they've been able to twist them into something I've enjoyed. You know, the emo goth girl inside yeah. the killer robot creating the avatar out of all that information. I still think that's an incredibly stupid idea. But what they've done with it has been so cool. I mean, Adama's daughter essentially has become yeah. Neo. Yeah. You know, she might as well be in the Matrix. I've really enjoyed, you know, I didn't care about her character in the pilot at all. I didn't care about her when they first brought her back on the uh, the episode, but they've really made you care about her character, and they've made her adapt, and she's dealing with the fact that she's dead. I mean, how do you deal with that, that you're dead and you can't even access the real world? Well, you know, I, and, and I found her a lot more likable in the pilot than I find her on the show, because I, I just have a real hard time with her on the show. Yeah, you know, I do too. I, I, but I think they've they've done that intentionally. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. I think I, that I, I, she's not yeah. supposed to be likable anymore. She was supposed to be likable in the pilot because she's just a she's a right. likable teenage girl. Well, she's not a likable That's teenage right. girl anymore. She's a dead now. There was a scene. Gosh, I, I think it was the season ender where Daniel Greystone is trying to prove that it's his daughter inside the robot. Oh, that was the scene. That was one episode before. Okay, so he's trying. So there's eight episodes. This was episode seven for those trying to follow along. So he's. Tr- oh yeah, I'm 
he he's trying to prove you know so you know that that, that it's Zoe and you know, all you got to do is you know say tell me Zoe that it's you because right now the robot's not speaking to him and so you know he puts her in the middle of a of a ring of fire you know because she because Zoe was afraid of fire um, and then there's this one scene where you know Greystone's sitting there with his dog this beautiful border collie and uh, he says now I love my dog. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I need to know what you are. And so, you know, he gives the robot a gun. You know, in that one moment, that's some of the most uncomfortable. Well, you know, you're a dog person. Yeah, absolutely. And and me too. And I'm like, if you shoot a dog on this show, I'm going to have to stop watching. Yeah, I'm watching. I I don't know if I want to keep watching. If they actually do this. I will absolutely be done with the show if you kill a dog on the show. I mean, you kill all the people you feel like you need to kill, but you leave the dogs alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah and the same way. I mean, I was, I was uncomfortable. Yeah, I was too. My wife's on the couch too, and it's like. Well, and I was talking to some friends this weekend about it, and they were the exact same way because they're big dog people as well. And they're like, you know, we might have to stop watching this show. And fortunately, there were blanks in the gun because, you know, he orders the robot. He says, you know, robot, shoot the dog, knowing that, you know, if Zoe's in there, she can countermand that order. And of course, the robot shoots, and there were blanks in the gun. Yeah, and you don't know right. right away. I mean, you you see the shot go off. Well, and you hear the dog squeak, you know, you, like he'd been hit, and you're just, oh, God. <laughs> it, was a, it was a brutal scene. And, you know, they, they cut back, and there's the dog still sitting there, you know, uh, fully alive and unwounded. I let out a huge sigh. Same here. That was a rough scene. And, you know, it, it says something a whole lot about you and I, Wayne, that had that been a person, <laughs> we wouldn't have been tense about that at all. <laughs> it, it was a very tense emotional scene. I thought it was extremely well done. And you know yeah. what's funny is um, I laughed because uh, you know this is the, the entire episode. He's essentially torturing this robot, trying to get yeah, his it, daughter, his daughter, <laughs> trying to get yeah. the daughter to reveal that yeah. it's her. Yeah, and none of that Not at all. all the See, but when they first. Yeah, but it's funny because when they first start the scene, they don't show the dog. He just walks out with a gun, and I'm right. like, "Oh my god, he's going to shoot his daughter in the face just to prove a point." <laughs> and I was just like, "This, is, damn, he really hates his daughter," and uh, yeah. you know, it turned out not to be that at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you can include that scene when we do. What if we were writing Caprica, Paul? <laughs> And then he shoots his daughter right in the face just to show her he can. You know, and that wouldn't have given me any touch. Yeah, none at all. None at all. They, they definitely knew how to pull my strings on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was that was a rough scene. But you know, that's why I, I I do think that that Ron Moore and and his team are are particularly adept at you know striking those emotional chords. You know, because I mean, you know, for everyone that I've talked to who has seen that that episode, has had the same emotional response to it. Yeah. You know, oh my God, he's going to shoot the dog. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, there are scenes like that throughout. The, I mean, maybe not that uncomfortable because they don't involve animal getting shot or dogs getting shot specifically. But I mean, you know, it, the entire show has really had these these great tense moments, and, and it's it, again, I mean, and that's the only one that's involved a gun. It's typically yeah. just wordplay. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone's everyone is in true to form after a tragedy, 
everyone in, involved in the show is an emotional, an emotionally raw nerve. I mean, his poor wife, Amanda Greystone, gets fired from her job because she <laughs> makes the mistake of saying at the memorial service um, that you know the the bomb that was set was most likely set by her daughter. My daughter was a terrorist. I think she may be responsible for this bombing. Yeah, yeah, not the brightest yeah. move there. No, no. Yeah, I mean, she loses her job. She starts losing her sanity. And let's face it, her husband's too busy to be. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Father and husband of the year. (laughs) (laughs) No, he did not have her killed. So, dog owner extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) I love my dog. That's right. You know, uh, I, I have felt bad for Amanda Greystone the entire series because you, you, you can just feel her kind of slipping away as she goes along. And sure enough, they ramped that up in, this, in, the, in the season finale because it sure does look like she jumped off the bridge. Yeah, there were, uh, there were, there were a couple of – at least one definite death um, and, and one potential death in the season finale. Um, neither of which I really kind of expected. I mean, I, I, they said someone was going to die. I just, uh, I guess I just didn't see it coming. Yeah, I didn't. I, I was surprised that uh, Amanda Greystone uh, died because I just, I just expected that she was such a good match character wise for Daniel Greystone that that would be a character that we would continue to see. But of course, you know, maybe he's going to find a way to, you know, trick up her avatar. You never know. Yeah, it's possible. And, and I between the Soviet avatar and the lab technician. I didn't expect that to go that direction either. The last episode with her and him, you know, just, wow, okay, well, I guess that's done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what we're speaking of, and honestly, if you don't watch the show, you're not listening this long anyway. Um, You know, it's the scene in which uh, Zoe Greystone uh, in the robot's body tries to escape from the lab, and in her attempts to escape, she unintentionally kills little lab boy uh, but doesn't spend too much time really caring about it because she's a c-word you know i think she was caring about it i think that's one of the main reasons she was crying for the rest of the episode well the avatar version of her was crying oh she's all emo that is true i mean let's face it what's a better idea than putting an emo teenage girl who may have just been you know at least his dad may have been responsible for many other people's deaths as far as graystone knows Let's take that personality and put that in a big killer robot that we're going to occasionally give guns to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, something that I've been really kind of curious about, and I'm wondering if if this is something that they'll touch on in the future, but, you know – you know, Zoe's character in in the in the show is is a creation of of uh, herself, her her online self, if you will. And you know, we're all a little different online. You know, we're different personalities when, when we're out there. You know, with the anonymity of the internet and whatnot. And I wonder if they'll make the distinction at some point that you know Tamra, you know Adama's daughter, who is also kind of an avatar online now. Um, if they'll make the distinction that these people are, yeah, they're, they're certainly a kernel of the people they were, but they're different. You know, they, they, they do have because, – because we, we exhibit ourselves differently in that online world, these people are different as well. And I really hope they do because I really hate that concept of these being the same personality exactly. It really bothers me because it's just – 
I can accept a lot of unbelievable things. I watch right. a lot of sci-fi, of course. I accept a lot of unbelievable things. I read comic books. But I just cannot accept being able to build the personality off of phone calls, emails, terminals. It just, you're missing events in yeah. people's lives. You're missing what the thoughts were behind what they're saying. You know, you don't know what a person is thinking based on what they type. You don't know what a person is thinking based on what they're saying a lot of times. And that it would be would be missed in something like this. It would have to be yeah. different. Well, and I, and I hope they do get around to making that distinction because it would explain why I liked Zoe in the pilot but hate Zoe in the ongoing series. I was the opposite. I hated Zoe in the pilot. <laughs> Zoe Avatar in the first couple episodes, and then she really grew on me. And one of the places she really grew on me was when she was dating. That yeah, man. yeah, but you know, well, you it, like it, Stephanie it, Brown, so we don't really, really trust your taste. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say something about Zoe Greystone, though, and Uh-oh. the actress Alessandra Torresani. Uh huh. So in the f- season finale, they they show her in V World with uh, Lab Boy um, that she kills uh, later on. And they're in a bed together, and she's wearing lingerie. And yes. I was like, ugh. I'm like, she's like 15. This is uncomfortable for me. And, and I, I was like, <laughs> so I looked it up online, and uh, yeah, she's 23. But, um, yeah. you know, she's... Oh, yeah, I've, I've looked that up, because some of the pictures that they've shown of her, just in advertising, I've had this conversation with people. Her character is supposed to be 15, but the pictures they're showing are of her nearly naked. And it's like, there's something yeah. wrong with that, that this, this character is supposed to be 15, they're doing all this with, but, you know, the actual actress is 23, so I guess the pictures are okay, but the character's not 23, the character was 15. And one of the things that we're trying to get at, too, is that people, when they go online, they're losing inhibitions, this is what teenagers are doing online, but... Yeah, it, that yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of the pictures that sci-fi has put out, like I, I was looking at one uh, when I was researching uh, this show, you know, is her naked, you know, with just her arm around her covering up, the, up her naughty bits, you know, so they, they have, the yeah, and they have certainly about. sexualized the, the, the character, you know, the, the little shorty short dresses that they've got her in and, and whatnot, I, you know, they, they certainly want you to feel that conflicted. I'm having inappropriate sexual thoughts about a 15 year old. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know she's 23, so I don't feel conflicted. I just enjoy the thoughts because she is. <laughs> See, I don't think she is. Yeah, I'm with you, Aaron. I'm sorry, Wayne. I fully think she is. <laughs> she's got a funny looking mouth. <laughs> funny looking mouth. She got a funny looking mouth. I, uh, you know. I'm not saying she's homely and that, you know, she needs to stay home or something, but they've really rather sexualized her and, you know, like, hey, isn't she hot? And then, you know, she's just, you know. Nah. Leah Le- Dahman needs to come in and straighten her out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've always had a thing for the goth girls and she comes off as And that she does. That she does. Well, so uh, any predictions for uh, season 1.5? Caprica, which starts up this fall. You know, well, well see, the way season one ended, um, I was surprised. I guess I didn't expect it to, to be so short, but apparently they'd filmed all 19 16 episodes. 19 episodes, yeah. and uh, only eight are aired to season one, and the rest will air later on this year. So, you know, luckily, um, you know, it's not like we have to wait a, a large amount of time in between uh, season one and season two 
or season 1.5 or whatever the hell they're going to label it. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully the show will continue after that. Um, I don't know how long it can go. I think it's already been renewed. Oh, has it? I think it's already been picked up for season two. I seem to recall seeing that. That would make me very happy. I think we're going to see a drastically different direction when it comes back to... I think you're right, Paul. I don't know how long it can keep going as it was. But I think that was the whole point of what we just saw with this finale was was to open them up to go a completely different direction. Yeah, I think Zoe's still going to be a main part of the show. Uh, you know, uh, they, they, they kind of hint that, you know... The robot exploded or something, but you know I'm sure the Cylon is fine, and I'm sure Zoe's still inside the Cylon. Uh, I think Zoe's character will continue on. Um, are we going to see more of a, a down spiral for Daniel Greystone? I, I would imagine so. I mean, he still has quite a, a long way to go down. So yeah, I, there's a, there's still quite a bit of ways to fall. You know, um, I, I'm very interested in seeing where it's going. Do, do I know where it's going? I, I wouldn't even begin to know how to predict. <laughs> I do think his wife might still be alive. I see, I don't think she's alive. I think she's coming back as an avatar. No, maybe. I think she might. I think she could be alive. She could be coming back as an avatar. Honestly, I don't see any way they could kill off Zoe, which makes me think they're going to. I think they're using this as a hard cut. They've dragged, they've dragged her along all this time. I think they actually might kill her off and just, you know, basically to yeah. shock us all. And take us a completely different direction. What I'm most curious about is the government just chased down this killer robot that lost control, and they're still going to have them mass produce. Well, yeah, you need a, you need a hundred thousand of those by Monday. What I'm wondering is if Greystone will actually even be in charge of his own company. Well, I think that's going to be at this point they might. Yeah, they might shut them out. Yeah, I think that's going to be part of his continual fall. I, I think we're going to see less of V World in the second half of the season, which will make me very happy because those were kind of the, the parts of the, the the what we've seen so far that I didn't care necessarily as much for. Oh, I don't know. Tamara kicking ass in the V World was pretty cool. <laughs> I disagree because of Tamara. Until they've done something with Tamara, if they pull her out and put her in a robot, then yeah, we've seen the end of V World for a while. But I don't think they're just going to leave that threat out there. So I think we're going to continue to see V-World and what Well, I also to. rather like the dirigible, <laughs> you know, with, with all the guns on it, you know. I, I like that. That's the, that's the game I want to play. I think we'll definitely see Zoe's best friend racked with guilt. I'm curious if the teacher will admit to being alive right away or if we'll see her fake yeah. her death because they think she's dead. I mean... So we may not see her right away, so we might see Zoe's best friend. I cannot think of Lacey. Her right now. You might see her racked with guilt. Thank you. You might see Lacey racked with guilt because if Zoe's gone, or even if Zoe's not gone, she's going to think Zoe's gone after all that. So, so And remember, gone. Zoe thinks that everyone has let her down. She has no idea what Lacey was trying to do for her, and so Lacey's going to feel the guilt of having killed someone even though she didn't. She's going to blame herself for what happened for Zoe. We're going to see her wrecked with emo guilt. And to be honest, I'm not looking forward to that part of the next yeah. half of the season. Well, my prediction is simply that I'm sure they're going to do something that none of us suspect. Uh, you know, that is that is Ron Moore's you know signature move. He's going to surprise the hell out of us. Out of good or bad, he will surprise the hell out of us. Yeah. So I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen next. I just know that I'm in. You know, I, I was kind of lukewarm coming out of the pilot, and the series, like Wayne, has really won me over. I, I, uh, I actually love this thing, I, and I don't care for Eric Stoltz. I think the only thing I've ever seen him in that I liked him in was uh, 
Uh, let's see. I liked him in Pulp Fiction, and I liked him in The Prophecy. Oh, yeah, The Prophecy. So we'll have to come back and talk about that sometime. But uh, <laughs> uh, those are really the only two roles I've liked Eric Stoltz in. You know, you know? and that's a good uh, point. going to say, you know, speaking to your Eric Stoltz point, you have a good point, you know, looking at it, looking at his uh, career. I, I've never been a huge fan of his, but I, I think he does a stellar job in the show. I, I really do. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 he is completely believable. Um, he, he, he is Daniel Greystone, you know, and, and I like the character, even though I'm really not supposed to like Daniel Greystone, I'm rooting for him, you know, and I keep hoping maybe Daniel Greystone yeah, will become a better person. I don't think he will, but maybe he will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of his first acts in the show was hiring someone to to kill people. Well, not no, they they didn't. He didn't hire them to kill anybody. He hired somebody to steal something, and someone happened to die. And he, you know, he didn't harbor too much guilt over that. <laughs> yeah, you know, As he told his wife, Paul, well, is they've shown you the systematic deconstruction of characters. Let yeah. them get to their absolute worst, and then yeah. they rise up and attempt to redeem themselves. Sometimes they let it happen on the show. Sometimes they use that as the ultimate moment to smack the character back down. But I think he's going to have that chance. It's He has more to lose. He's going to go further down the spiral. We're going to see him completely lose control. But I think he's going to redeem himself in the end and probably die somewhere in the process. Yeah. And Paul... It's like he told his wife. It's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Did you kill those two men, honey? It's complicated. (laughs) It's complicated. Eat your meal. Happy anniversary. She walks down the stairs, and she's like, I thought we were going out. Fuck you. Sorry, excuse my language. (laughs) (laughs) F you. Don't you see I'm cooking? I mean, what else? I'm just cooking so we can go out. to say when when i told my wife i was going to take her out to dinner one night and she came into the kitchen and i'm making dinner instead she immediately called me a murderer <laughs> murderer <laughs> you know it's, it's just kind of her go-to move now murderer yeah so you know i keep our dinner dates now 
good, good thinking, Aaron. <laughs> well, it sounds like we're all in for season 1.5. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, stuff. if you're listening to this episode and, and you liked what we talked about or you liked the format of this episode, let us know. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about more TV shows. We'll talk about, uh, you know, movies, things like that. So uh, I, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Cause, uh, a lot of other TV shows I'm sure we all like or all dislike. So. Yeah. And, you know, if, I know Paul wants to talk about Punky Brewster. Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, with enough suggestions, maybe we'll get Aaron's ass to finally catch up on Supernatural so we can so I can finally talk about that damn series in front of him. <laughs> when the DVD comes out, Paul. See? See? <laughs> if we talk about it on the show, he has to watch it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a bunch, guys. Thanks, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.